Hi, my name's Taylor Chapman, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Let's actually jump right on in there, and let's see what God has in store for you with today's message. We have been looking at the story behind the glory, looking at the life of David. And looking at his life, he was just a boy in a sheep field. And the, the next thing we read about David is David is taken down a giant. We looked at week one that David was anointed. Say the word anointed. When you are anointed by God, you are set apart. Being anointed means you are equipped. You are enabled and you are empowered to do what God has called you to do. So whenever we looked at week one, we looked at just like David is anointed, you as a follower of Christ are anointed, which means what? You are equipped, you are enabled, and you are empowered to do everything that God created you to do. Uh, last week, we looked at David's gifting. We saw that David was a killer harp player. Anybody here play a harp? No? Okay. A killer harp player, but yet he was a fighting machine warrior. The two don't really seem to fit together all that well, a harp player and a warrior. And I want to encourage you to go back and watch last week's message to find out why that doesn't fit. But what I've noticed in people is God seems to use the ones who develop their gift more. He uses them more. The ones who say, I'm not going to develop my gift, God doesn't use those people. The ones who say, I've got a gift and I'm going to develop it, the more you develop your gift, the more God can use you. And we looked at how to develop that gift. Number one, operating in diligence. You got to stay committed to the process. Uh, you got to operate in excellence. How many of you can look into your closet at home and say, this is an excellent closet? <laughs> I can say it because my wife's not in here. She's in another room. You can't walk in her closet. And we talk about this. It's a walk-in, but it's not. <laughs> You, you do number three, you operate in your own uniqueness and we embrace our life story and realize that every part of what's happened in our lives, if you embrace it, God will use it. You can't look at it and say, this part of my life counts me out. If you embrace what God's allowed to take place in your life and you change the way you perceive what you went through, God will use that to become your greatest day of victory. In week one, we focused on one word, anointed. In week two, we focused on one word, skillful. Remember that? Today, we're going to focus on another word, and that word is passion. Say passion. passion. Say it with some passion. passion. Passion will cause you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Passion will cause you to be somebody who you wouldn't normally be. I love being around people who are passionate for the right things. You can be around people who are passionate for the wrong things, and all of a sudden their passion for the wrong thing makes you start getting passionate for the wrong thing. But if you get around people who are passionate for the right thing, guess what happens to your life as well? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Everything you go through in life can be dictated by the attitude of which you go through it. I can take two different people. I'm about to put this down and start preaching, all right? You can take two different people and put them in the same situation, and one person will be victorious and the other person will lose. I guarantee you can put those same two people in another situation. The one person who won will win again. The one person who lost will lose again. Why? Their attitude in the middle of the situation is what caused them to see their problem, not how their problem really exists, but how God sees their problem. And when they look at their problem the way that God sees it, it allows them to have a passion and an ability to know that no matter what comes my way, I'm going to beat this thing. Passionate people, you just can't get them down. You just can't take them down and say, oh, the world's falling over. Leave me alone. I don't want to be around you. I don't care. In my world, in my economy, my God is my provider. Everything works out for me. I'm not worried about what everything else looks like around me. I'm passionate about what God has called me to be, what God has called me to do, and nothing's going to stand in the way of the passion that I have for God. But if I surround myself around people who don't have the right kind of passion watch out okay that was good all right I gotta get back to my get back to my 
When you look at David in the Bible, David was passionate. David had attitude. Devin has got attitude. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, you're, I'm sorry. When you, when you get around people who are passionate, there is an attitude that they carry. In 1 Samuel 17 is a story of David and Goliath, and we're not going to get into that. That's next week. So come back next week. You're going to hear about the giant getting taken down, and I'm going to bring my sling. It was a, it's a David sling, just like it. It's pretty cool. Um, not yet. I haven't, I haven't shot it yet. I'm scared to. It's pretty cool. Um, but I want to lay some groundwork for the story, and it's going to be the foundation for next week. There are two groups of people fighting each other, the Philistines, who are the enemies of God, and the Israelites, who are the people of God. Um, they are all squared off, and they're drawing these battle lines up on two big hills, and there's a valley in between them. And every day, um, Goliath comes out and says, who is going to fight me? And every day for 40 days, the Israelites see this big giant of a dude and they say, not me. And they all scurry back into their tent and they hang out. Finally, through all this going back and forth, something amazing happens. The people who were scared at the beginning were still scared all the way through. (laughs) Okay, you guys. Um, For 40 days... This giant yelled at them and got into their mind about how he was going to take them out. And what really happened was, this is called representative combat. And in representative combat, you would have one person who would say, hey, I will fight on behalf of my entire tribe. And you bring whoever you want to bring, and I'll bring whoever I want to bring, and those two are going to duke it out, and whoever wins, that's who wins the battle. It was a very common practice to fight that way, because whenever you fought that way, there would be a lot less bloodshed, and all of a sudden, why are you guys all staring at him? Man, all right. You're doing good, sir. And then all of a sudden, the, the war that should have killed thousands of people just took out one. And that tribe won. Does that make sense? So that's what's taking place in this situation. Goliath is over here, and there's a whole tribe of people over here, and he's saying, let's duke this out one on one. And then after 40 days, someone with passion came to the forefront. Someone with passion stood up with some attitude and said, hey, you know what? I don't even know who the giant really is, but something is inside of me that tells me I can take this thing out. I fought a lion and I won. I fought a bear and I won. What's another giant? I don't know if any of you ever fought a lion, but I think I'd be more scared of a lion than I would be a giant person. I, I, don't, I don't Maybe not. Um, what, what's kind of funny is passion will cause you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. I love when people tell me I'm just a quiet-natured person. I can't come to church and worship God like that because I'm just quiet. But that same person will see their kid up on stage at school or see that kid score a soccer goal and they're, yeah, that's my child, I'm so excited. A passion for the right thing will cause you to be passionate about it. But when it comes to God, you say, you know, I'm passionate for God, but I can't let the people around me know that I'm passionate. So let me tell you, you're not passionate. Because if you're passionate for God, there's nothing that's gonna stop you from letting everyone else know, I got a passion for my God. Whenever my kid scores that goal, guess what? I'm gonna be the loudest one in the stands cheering on my daughter from getting that goal in there. Why? Because I have a love for her, because I have a passion for her. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Why is it for a year I've pushed you guys every single Sunday? Lift your hands, worship, get involved. It sounds like I'm a broken record, but what am I trying to do? Get you passionate about the God that you serve because the more passionate you are about it, the more enthralled you're going to be with it. Okay. David carried attitude. David carried passion. The day David went to go fight Goliath, his day didn't start out thinking he was going to take down a giant. The day that David went to go fight this Goliath, he had no idea that day he was going to take down a giant. I'm going to do something kind of fun. Can we do something fun? That's why you guys are wondering why all these chairs and mics and stuff are up here. I thought it'd be fun to do today's sermon a little bit differently. We've done this for two years. I've never had a panel. We're going to ask the, the Van Winkles and the Dodies to come on up here. And while they're coming up here getting ready, um, we're going to do like, a, I'm going to preach a little bit. And then we're going to talk a little bit. And we're going to apply what's being said. So it'll be kind of fun. I have less room to talk. walk. Oh, man. Okay. 
while they're getting situated. Uh, here's what we know about David. David is a teenager. David tends to his sheep most of the time. David plays the heart for a king. And let's look in your notes. I need you guys have your notes. You don't have notes. Wow. Um, you're just that good, huh? Let's look at our notes, and let's continue reading where we left off last week in 1 Samuel 17. How about that? You st- can you read, Alfaro? You can read? Would you mind just read that whole thing? And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, and then ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token for them, from them. Now Saul and they, all, and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Ephah, or Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. Thank you, thank you. I want you to look at something right there. David ran to the battle line. How many of you would have run to the battle line? I don't know. Uh, whenever you look at the end of verse 21, David was following a simple instruction from his father. He was not looking for a great opportunity to take down a giant that day. So in your notes, there are, as we've done the last two weeks, we're reading the text and pulling things out of the text that seem to make sense of why David got to where David got. And let's write down, number one, this first attribute of passionate people. They're kind of long, so leave the answers on the screen for a while because they're kind of long. Number one, passionate people carry out small assignments with a willing spirit. Passionate people carry out small assignments with a willing spirit. David, who is the future king of Israel, becomes a delivery boy specialist delivering bread and cheese to his brothers. He's, he's basically like the Uber Eats driver of, of the day. And his dad says, I need you to go and take this food to your brothers because they're the real men of the family, not you. They're the ones out fighting the battle lines. And David was tasked with this assignment. And David didn't go to his dad and say, nah, I'm good. I'm not going to do that. David, it says, he ran. He rose up early and went to the battle line, and he took the necessary things that his father asked him to do. He was willing to do the small task. How many times in our lives do we say, the task is too menial for me, I'm not doing that? All right, that leads us to our first panel question of the day. You guys ready for this? This is gonna be fun. It's gonna be, everyone smile at them. They need you to see that you're happy that you see them. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, question number one, tell us a time when you had an assignment that needed to be carried out, but maybe you had the wrong attitude, Terrence, I mean, and, um, and it did not work out the way it did, or maybe when you did something and it worked out the right way when you had the right attitude, since Terrence, you're the first one to my right, you get to get picked. You go first. Perfect. Can I go back to what you just said, though? No. Something I just thought about? Go, no. Of course. If you're too small to do the big things, wait. If you're too big Big, to do the small things, you'll be too small small to do the big things. That's good. That's exactly what you said there. That's what I said. Thanks for recapping what we just said. Perfect. (laughs) It's going to be a long Sunday. You guys just just prepare. (laughs) All right. At time, I try not to have a bad attitude, so I'm not going to go... To a time when hey, I had a bad I like attitude. that. I like that. I'm going to go to a time we'll when I We'll talk about your attitude. wife then next. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I go back to my professional life and at work, and we've all been around people that have a bad attitude at work. And we've all been around people that act like they hate their job. And that just, I've never understood that. First off, if you hate your job, are you where God wants you to be? And if you are, you need to figure out how to change your attitude to be where you want to be. So 
I'm an electrician. For about two and a half, three years, I got to work with my brother. Uh, he came today to make sure this story's true. <laughs> Call him out, man. And uh, out. we did hard work, man. We were, we, so we got this one job, and we had a great boss, and he sent us to do it. And it was the middle of August. It was about 120 degrees. We were down in this valley. We had trees all around us, so we weren't getting no wind. I mean, it was hot. And we were having to dig this 200-foot-plus ditch. We were having to do all this work. And we could have just, we could have had a bad attitude about that, for sure. But that's one reason I liked working with him, is because we always had the attitude of, hey, we're going to do this to the best of our abilities. We're going to knock this out. We're going to get it done, and we're going to go home. And I'll never forget, it was uh, 2 o'clock, and, man, it was hot. And, you know, we had jugs of water, but that was about gone. And it was out in the country, so it wasn't city water, so we had no well, because we had shut the power to the well, so we had no water. And we call our boss, and we're like, hey, we needed some parts. He's bringing us parts. Okay, you mind bringing us something to drink and a little bit to eat? We're, we're dying out here. The old man said, yeah, well, I'll bring something. Don't worry about it. So he comes. He brings us the parts, and he brings us a 16-ounce bottle of water <laughs> and some crackers. And it takes about two drinks to drink that 16-ounce <laughs> bottle of water. And then the last thing you want when your mouth is dry and you're dying from heat is crackers. I remember me and Justin just laughed about it. And we, man, this... We gave that boss a hard time, and we still just, we, we just knocked it out, and we did the job to the best of our ability. And we, we did give each other a hard time. We butted head, heads every once in a while, believe that or not. But Mama, who's watching online, she always told us, you can either be the one digging ditches, or you can be the ones telling them how wide and deep to dig it. Well, where were we? There we were, digging the ditches. <laughs> so we for sure could have had a bad attitude about that. Like, why are we here? What are we doing? Mama said go to school. We probably should have went to school. (laughs) But we didn't. We had a great attitude, and that's uh, just one memory that comes to mind about having a job. You know, as I work with employees now, it's always so refreshing. Uh, Brian always worked. He worked with me for a while. And at least to me, out front, anytime I asked Brian to do something, it was, yeah, man, I'll do it. No problem. I got it. I got it. And I've had other employees, you give them something like, man, I'll go go do it. And it brings you down as a person. And and even me not doing the work, giving it brings me down. I'm like, why do you, this is what we do, man. Have some passion about it. Do it to the best of your ability. Like in 1 Corinthians, we all know the verse, the Bible says, do everything you do to glorify God and do it to the best of your ability. And so that's just, uh, appreciate Brian, appreciate my brother for having good attitudes. Yeah. Uh, have, you, have you ever been around those people who you ask them anything and the first response is no? Or, hey, do you think we can make this happen? That ain't going to work that way. And not the most annoying thing in the world. I fire people like that. I don't know how you had the grace to deal with it. You get around me and tell me no, you're not going to be around me much longer. I want people who can figure it out. I want people who have a good attitude. I want people to say, hey, you know what? I'm not sure how this works, but I'm going to get this thing going for you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. My wife uh, watched, it was Barbie. You've heard her preach and you heard her say this before. She was watching Barbie or um, the kids were actually watching Barbie and we got to watch too. It's really funny. If you guys haven't watched Ken and Barbie, the, it's hilarious. The kids shows. I'm, okay, I'm the only one that thinks that. <laughs> Thank you. I haven't seen them. I don't know about the movie. I don't know anything about that. This is the cartoon. It's, I don't know. It's what you allow your three-year-old to watch. Okay, whatever. You people. And, and Barbie would always ask Ken, Ken, can you go to the store? Ken, can you go wash the dog? Ken, can you go here? And Ken's response every single time, I'm on it. As followers of Christ, as believers in Christ, when God asks you to do something, I'm on it. When David's dad asked him, who was out in the sheep field, hey, I need you to go and feed your brothers. I'm on it. When I'm at the grocery store and the Lord put somebody's heart, put somebody on my heart like right over there, I'm on it. Because the gifting that you have will not be developed and become skilled if you don't have the attitude of, I'm on it. Because you will stay back right where you've always been and never keep growing. That's good, isn't it? Aren't you glad you guys came today? Yeah. The second thing, oh, the right attitude is key in wanting to be used by God. The size of the task is not important. The willingness and obedience is key. All right, the second attribute we can pull from the life of David about having passion. 
Passionate people must guard their strength or it will become a weakness. And let me explain what this means a little bit. In Psalms, I'm going to talk while you guys write. In Psalms, did you have something to say? No? We're good? Okay. In Psalms 51, 12, David wrote, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold within me a willing spirit. David wrote this right after he committed a sin with Bathsheba. I don't need to get into the sin. You all know what that sin was, right? Okay. Um, It was David's passion that said, I can fight the giant. It was David's same passion that said, hey, Bathsheba, why don't you come over here? David was a warrior. He got what he wanted. David was a fighter. I'm on it. I can do whatever it comes my way. David was anointed by God. God's hand was on David. And the same passion that allowed him to take out a giant was the same passion that caused him to fall into great sin. Whenever you are a passionate person, you can get emotionally involved in something and an outcome that should be will be different than what it's supposed to be. So that takes us to our second question. Have you ever had a time whenever you were good at something and your confidence got you in trouble? Maybe you, your passion for something took you to where it didn't need to go, or maybe it did. Um, Terry. You're on the end. We'll let the guys go first and then, because um, this is. He gave us a little bit of preview of some of these questions. And when I, when I looked at these questions, I'm like, who I was when I was college age and in my early 20s and who I am now responds differently to these questions. But when I was in college and in my early 20s, um, self-confidence is something I was not lacking at all. I mean, I, I thought I was every girl's dream. I, I regularly outkicked my coverage and asking people out. Um, Rejection wasn't an issue, was it? Yeah, I soon learned I wasn't as much, apparently, as I thought I was. But, um, but no, 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 Starla, no, no, don't say no, that. No, Starla I, thinks you're hot. What, well, <laughs> yes. And Starla is evidence that God still does miracles. Okay, okay, very good, very good. God overcame my youthful overconfidence and finally rewarded me with this. So, anyway. Um, no, that's true. He's going to start a dating 101 class next Sunday. So, um, didn't mean to get you off kilter. But, but uh, one, of, one of the things I knew I was good at in college and that helped me get really good grades and do well in tests was I could memorize things quickly. I could memorize large concepts of material quickly. And um, uh, I was approached by, I wasn't in speech in college my freshman year, but I was approached by uh, the speech teacher, professor at the college where I was about entering a competition. And um, the only problem with entering this competition was that it was going to be in about 24 hours. And they gave me an assignment that I was supposed to do this. Um, it was a prose speech where you could kind of read, but not really. It was a speech. And anyway, and they said, listen, here's all we need you to do. We need you to memorize the, the um, Living Bible translation of the book of Jonah and give that as a speech. The book? The book, yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, I can do that. What? So anyway, I spent that afternoon memorizing the book they, they did say you know you can have your notes there and you really can look at them if you need to and I'm like no I got this I got this and um had it memorized had it down confident overconfident and um did the speech competition I got I got actually got it through the the first preliminary round pretty good with it and the second time around I'm like I don't even need my notes nearby I got this and for one of the first times in my life it was like I realized in the middle of it, I don't got this. And uh, it was just a disaster. And uh, it was humiliating. And God gave me a dose of embarrassment and humility I greatly needed at that point in my life. But uh, 
I, I, I often overestimated my abilities. Uh, I've typically overestimated what I'm capable of and think I can do this much in this much time. And eventually enough failures at that tell you differently. Good. Yeah, I, I think we've all kind of fall in line with that. We, we oversell our abilities. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. Let, let's, let's go on number three. Does you, we can end on that one. You guys have anything? No? That's good. Thanks, Ter Terrence. You're not Terry, Terrence. They're not Terrence or Terry. <laughs> the, number three is one of my favorites um, that we're going to look at today. And uh, this, the statement alone can preach and we can go home, but we're not going to. But it's powerful. Number three, write down passionate people in your notes. Interpret intimidation as an invitation. <laughs> um, when we look at verse 23, right below that, it says, As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and David, or, and were much afraid. The thing that everyone walked away from, David ran to. He saw this big giant up there, and he says, I'm not intimidated by the size of the giant. That's an invitation for me to do something great for the kingdom of God. How many times do we look and say, I'm too intimidated to do something because I don't know what it takes. I don't have what it takes. I'm not skillful enough. I'm not good enough. And, and David said, it's not the intimidation factor. That's an invitation for God to use you. So you look at it and say, God, I can't do this without you. It shows your true dependency is upon God and not upon yourself. Terry put it on himself and he got humiliated. Whenever you put the confidence on yourself and not on God, it becomes intimidation. Okay. Yeah. In your notes in green ink, and then we're going to ask the panel, use the voice of intimidation as an invitation to do something great for God. The enemy is going to do what he can to intimidate you. You're not good enough. You can't do that. You don't know enough. You're not qualified enough. You're too short. You're too tall. You're too dumb. You didn't graduate high school. You graduated and you have a doctor so that puts you above everything. The enemy will use any vice that's possible to intimidate you, to stop you from doing what God's called you to do. But David said, I'm going to take that intimidation and use it as an invitation. So that takes us to our third question. Um, tell us about a time when maybe intimidation was an issue. Maybe you used it as an invitation. Maybe you didn't and you got taken down. Um, However, whatever road you want to go down. Um, Devin, let's start with you. And then Starla, you want to do this one too? Let the girls talk some? Okay. Okay, so um, when I think about a time that was scary for me, besides this very moment right yeah. now. <laughs> um, She's scared I'm going to ask like random stuff and do all. I would never do that to anybody, would I? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think about when I found out I was going to have twins. That was very um, scary for me in the sense I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have two babies, you know, and um, not only that, but Lincoln was two when they were born. So I had a lot of fear with that, um, and I really never, it never really occurred to me, you know, that that could be, it was a high-risk pregnancy, but I was always very confident that I was going to have two babies, you know, that there was my pregnancy was going to be just fine. And I do remember asking the doctor, is this possible? Because I am a very petite person. Um, and after the doctor assured me, yeah, it's possible, you know, that was it for me. I knew that I was going to have a fine pregnancy and everything would be fine. And it really wasn't until we started sharing that news with people and 
that's when you start getting, you know, the unsolicited advice and opinions, and all of a sudden, everybody knew somebody that had twins or was pregnant with twins, and, you know, um, and I don't think it was intentional, you know, I don't think anybody was intentionally trying to scare me, but um, I got a lot of, oh, you're going to be on bed rest the whole time, you need to be careful, you know, and in a kind of a roundabout way, don't get your hopes up, you know, if things can happen, um, it is high risk, and, and there were a lot of things that played into that, but it never, that really didn't, you know, in the beginning, that wasn't a worry for me, but it did, you know, after hearing these things, I did start thinking about that. And I'll never forget going in, um, it was my 12-week appointment, and because it was high risk, I was going in like every other week. Um, and now thinking about it, like it just, it's crazy that I even thought this, but I remember sitting there waiting for the doctor and thinking, it's okay if, you know, if they come in and they, they only find one heartbeat because at least you'll still have one baby. And it's, I like can't even believe I thought that, but no sooner than I thought that, God checked me immediately. And I was like, no, you are not going to have this attitude. That is not going to happen. And I knew right then and there that I was going to have these babies. I was going to have a wonderful pregnancy. Everything was going to be perfect. And, you know, um, going in appointment after appointment and things were wonderful. Um, uh, you know, with I don't, I'm sure you don't know, but with twins, there's something called twin-to-twin um, -twin transfusion um, when it's um, where one baby will get more of the nutrients than the other, and so they might, you know, grow at different rates, but, and that was something that they monitored very closely, and that was never an issue. Um, you know, I had several um, appointments and um, ultrasounds, and, and they progressed perfectly. They grew perfectly. I never was on bed rest. I never had any complications. They were born the day after Christmas, and I didn't want to come home from the hospital to a Christmas tree, so I was four foot around and taking down my Christmas tree, and I walked right into my... Uh, no, he wasn't going to do it. I had to, I had to get it done, and so... Um, and I can honestly sit here today and say that that pregnancy with the twins was easier than my pregnancy with Lincoln, I, it was, it was, it was perfect. And, um, the twin to twin transfusion thing, is that, is that what it's called? I don't think that's okay. Um, Jessica, is that what it's called? Okay. Uh, um, they were actually, when they were born, they were only one ounce different from each other. They were exactly the same length. Even their head circumference was exactly the same. And, um, they spent a little bit of time in the NICU, but that's just because they were a little bit early, they take twins early. But um, I just, from the very, very beginning, I knew they were gonna be, you know, five, almost six years old and giving me a run for my money. And that's <laughs> exactly what they're doing. So yeah, I think back to that and how I could have easily let, you know, people's opinions or, and again, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think people were trying to scare me, but you know, everybody had an opinion. And um, I just thought, you know, I'm going to prove them wrong, and I, and I did. You, you can't let someone else's story be your story. What happens is some people will say, um, God didn't do that for me, so he won't do it for you. I don't care about someone else's story. I care about the word. What does the word of God say? That is my authority. That is my promise. That is my standard. So if it happens differently in Terrence's life than it does mine, that's not for me to discuss or to battle. That's between God and Terrence. My story is going to be what the word of God says. Does that make sense? So what happens is you're trying to have kids and everyone tells you, oh, my cousin had kids and one of them died and the other one died and it starts putting fear. What do you think the enemy's trying to do? Intimidate you to stop the call of God for two children. You don't live under the suppression of what the enemy tries to do. Your story and their story will not line up. That's not your worry. 
you go off the standard of the Bible. The Bible is our authority. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk. Starla, do you, you want to say something on this one? So the question posed to us was doing something afraid um, and how God used you in that situation. And a few years ago, I'd stepped away from a position that I did something that I absolutely loved. But God said it was time. And so I stepped down from this position. And so there's a series of a few years that um, I was waiting on God in a way to make money. You know, how do I add to my household? And I think the Proverbs woman says it all with her prophets. She planted a vineyard. And so I felt like, God, you have something for me to do that brings profit to help in our household. And so it was laid on my heart through family encouragement to start a swim school. Now, mind you, this is something I've never done in my life, and we're dealing with water, we're dealing with toddlers, and we're dealing with anxious parents. And um, But I stepped forward because I knew God had laid this on my heart, and I said, I'm, I'm going to do this. And so the week that I started, Terry was actually out of town, so it was God in me. And so... Um, That's not a good time to leave. <laughs> So anyway, I, I was scared. I will be honest. I was scared to do this because it was something I'd never done in my life. And I have a healthy fear of water. And that's my passion in wanting to teach these children how to swim. And so I would plead the blood of Jesus over that pool every single day. And I would walk out of my doors and go, I am anointed to teach children how to swim. I am anointed to teach children how to swim. I am anointed to teach children how to swim. And um, it is my passion because I love those children. I love the delight on their face when they learn how to swim mm -hmm. and they've gained this skill. And God uses me so much in ministering to these mm -hmm. children and loving on them. And I did it afraid, but God has so blessed me in doing that. Yeah. So. My kids went there. And Matthew wouldn't get in the water. Like, we had to pull our house, and Matthew would get in and just hold the sides. After he's at Starla's house for two or three days, I don't know how long it was, two or three sessions, he comes back, he's jumping in the pool. I'm like, Starla, what'd you do? Now I got to go out there and watch this kid. He's swimming all around, loving the pool. And he'd be like, let's go jump in the pool. You did a great job. But, but here's, what, here's what happens. Let's, let's talk about the reality of it. She's sitting there saying, I'm anointed to teach these kids, but her head is telling her, I can't do this. I don't know if I'm capable of doing this. What if a kid drowns on my watch? What if a parent gets mad at me? All these things start running through your head, and that's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to stop the call of God upon your life, so he gets in your mind. Saul, or not Saul, Goliath for 40 days. You guys are no good, lazy, rotten, son of a gun. He was getting in their mind because the enemy knows if he can get into your mind, it will stop what God wants to do in your life. But you have to say, I'm using the intimidation as an invitation and I will be anointed to do this. I am anointed to do this, and I will fulfill what this is supposed to look like, and I'm gonna do it scared. You think David was, uh, being such a young boy, wasn't scared to go fight a Goliath? Don't even kid yourself. Oh, God's hand was upon him. No, he's still a human being. He's still a, he still had the natural fear of what man has whenever you're going up against a nine-foot Goliath who has a spirit and who knows how to use it. Which he got chased by, that was, okay, um, just remember something. The fourth. That'll go in next. Number four. Let's look at number four. I like how things, you guys just bring out stuff in me and I write it down. It's going to be good next week. I, sorry, I won't hit you. Number four. This is fun. Are you enjoying their stories? This is kind of cool. This is kinda, we've never done this. Uh, number four. Passionate people will fight to the finish in the battles that matter the most. When you look at why David killed Goliath, David's motive in verse 26, I'll read, you guys can keep writing, it says in your notes, David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine and that he should defy the armies of the living God? You have to find out what you're fighting for. David asks, what happens if I win or lose this battle? Oftentimes we get fighting battles that the spoils aren't worth fighting for. Oftentimes we fight with a family member and then all of a sudden we realize we did more damage than good. Why did we do that? The enemy wants to separate. The enemy wants to create confusion, wants to create division. 
and you get involved in yourself into something, and all of a sudden you made something out of a, a, a mountain out of a molehill. Okay. Uh, whenever you fight certain battles, um, when we look at David, he, he determined which battles were worth the fight. We didn't read it in the text, but um, just a little bit after this, David's brother's making fun of him. You're not going to be able to do this. You can't do this. And you know what the Bible says David did? He turned and walked away. He didn't try to make it right. He didn't go, you big brother, you's a bully. Yes, I can do this. He just turned and walked away. How many battles in your family could be different if you just turned and walked away? How many battles that you fight at work could be different if you just turned and walked away? The battle wasn't worth fighting. David had a bigger plan. He had a bigger battle that was worth going after. And he said, I'm going to take down this giant. So our fourth and final question for the day. Tell us that a time when you had to fight for something that you believed in. I'm going to let you run with that however you want. Whoever wants to answer, go for it. we got three minutes, so go quick. Mine's my spiritual battle. Okay. And as I mature, mature as a Christian, I find that more and more that God is, Jesus has won the war. But every day you're in a battle. I mean, because God's up here. And so if you want to be closer to God, you're in a battle every single day <clears throat> to work closer to God. You've said before that if we miss one day with God, it takes us, I, I don't always listen to everything you said, but I, heard, I remember that part. <laughs> But seriously, I, rem I look at it like we're climbing a ladder. God's up here, and we're work working up these Well, it does explain why you're having problems with your relationship with God, since you're not listening. <laughs> I heard that <laughs> part. No, no, no. I heard that part. But every day's a battle, so if you don't take time every single day, you're working up this ladder trying to get closer to God. You miss a day with God, you slide down three rungs. Mm -hmm. You work back. You're working. You're trying to get closer to God. So that is a battle worth fighting to me because it's my heart desire to be close to God. But that's exactly what it is, is it's a battle, it's a fight that you have to go at every single day to work closer to God. Or else, you're, if you're not going towards God, you're going away from him. Anybody else? No? Okay. Um, as we close out here, I want Terry and Terrence to answer this last question. This is kind of like a bonus question. Um, when we look at the life of David... He had the attitude of a champion, that can-do attitude that no matter what comes my way, I can take it out. When you have the right attitude, there are no obstacles that will take you down. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a better thought than they responded, wasn't it? Okay. Uh, what would you, Terrence and Terry, Tell it, everyone in here and the thousand and plus that will be watching online. Um, we had 6,000 join us a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, there's, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, what would you tell them about the importance of having the right kind of attitude? Who I'll go first. Terry, go first. Um, <clears throat> I'll give you the short version of kind of my seasons of life. You know, if you look at David's seasons of life, it's amazing what he did in his early life and then how he encountered trials and failures later on and then how he overcame that and was restored by God. Um, uh, my, my seasons of life, I, I equate to a lot to, to Joseph where he kind of went from the pedestal to the pit and then counted on God to take him from the pit kind of to the palace. And then he was truly living out his calling in that season in his life. And for me, I, I was that cocky, overconfident college kid, and I was that way in my 20s, in my early 30s. Eventually, life began chipping away at me, and at about 40 or 41, and not to prophesy anything bad, no, but... My, my life's good, man. <clears throat> you just say what you need. I'm just saying, be on your toes. You don't affect me, man. Yeah. At about, uh, at, at age 40, uh, my world fell apart, uh, and I, I lost everything. I lost my job. I, I lost I lost everything. It's a long story. If you ever want to have coffee, I'll tell it to you. Um, and I found myself in the pit. 
And I found myself one day sitting at the side of the road in a truck that was broken down and thinking, this is it. And um, I had a broken down truck and $17 to my name, and that was about it. Um, and that's where, as far as passion and confidence, um, God had to start a restoration process in me. And so what, I, what I'm saying is that I've been at that point in my life where I started off every day highly confident and highly passionate, but it wasn't a God-infused confidence. There you go. It wasn't something that had been put out for God's endorsement. It was my agenda. Yeah. And it was my own self-doing. And I was going to take all the credit, too to being swinging to the other side of the pendulum where I have to start each day asking God to instill in me a sense of confidence and, and to realize that, that I now have to fight the battle of being centered in God and empowered by God and reminded of God and surrendered to God. And I feel like I'm Isaiah who has to go before God daily, which I should, and say, I'm a broken man. I'm a man of unclean lips, but I, I'm, I want to be used as a vessel for you. And so when it, when it comes to attitude, um, I think it's Joyce Meyer who said, you can never have a positive life with a negative mind. For me, it comes down to I have to intentionally reprogram my mind, allow God to reprogram my mind. And I have to kind of talk through, pray through scriptures and Say some of the things that are just short little axioms for me that, you know, I am not going to live by fear. I'm going to live by faith. I am not going to worry. I am going to worship today. I, I am not going to live in self-sufficiency. I'm going to rely solely on God. That's right. That's right. And, and that takes me from being a victim of my circumstances to being victorious over any and all circumstances. That's right. That's good. And I have to remind myself that I maintain the right attitude and the right confidence and the right direction and the right mindset by understanding that every day as I present myself to God, I am healed, I am restored, I am called, I am capable in Him, and he will today, if I allow him to, do things through me that are exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think or imagine. Yeah. And, and I fight it every day. I never used to fight self having to be self-confident. But I have to build it up every day. And I have to allow God to fill me with that and to do it only in him, through him, and for him. That's good. Well, and it was a choice, right? We yes. get to choose yeah. our attitude. So that would be the last thing I would say was encourage you guys to, no matter what situation you're in, you can choose mm -hmm. to have the attitude whether you're going to get out of it or not. And as we look at Jesus' life, he chose to be a servant. So I would say let's choose to serve one another. Let's choose, if you're in a rough situation at work, choose to be more of a servant at work. Change your mindset, change your attitude to that servanthood mindset and your attitude will follow it. When you have the attitude of a champion, nothing's going to take you down. Every day, you got to wake up and say, I got this. I got this. Because life's going to hit you, and it's going to hit you hard at different times. It, I didn't know that whole part of the story. I've heard your story in bits and pieces. But to be where you only have 17 bucks in a truck that doesn't run, I mean, that's water's electric every day. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen some of your vans driving down the road. And that that's the problem. When, whenever you look at life and say, all this is going on, how are you getting through it? Is it, oh my goodness, I can't keep going. Or do you do what the four of them talked about? I got this. God's put something inside of me. I'm anointed to figure this out. I'm anointed to walk in my assignment. I'm anointed to get to where God has called me to get. I'm not going to let an enemy try to prevent that from taking place. So the thing that we learn from David this week is if you have a passion for the right things, that passion will take you where you can't get by yourself. 
You've got to become a person who is passionate for God to move in your life. How do we become passionate? Come back next week and we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Just kidding. No, no I am. Uh, but we want this week, pray. God, make me a passionate person. Give me a heart for what breaks yours. Lord, do something in me that I wouldn't want to do it myself. Put somebody across my path that I've got to step out. You, you always say, God, give me grace, and he gives you all the reasons to get through grace, and you blew every single one of them. And you're like, man, if I just had one more try, this is your one more try this week. What is something that I can be passionate about this week, what God has called me to do? Maybe it's at the grocery store line. There's someone sitting next to you, and God puts in your heart. Just say hello to them. Just invite them to church. Just start a conversation with them. Just say something. It will stir up in you a passion because the enemy is trying to intimidate you. I want you to take that this week and say, it's an invitation for me to walk in all that God has for me. Thank you for tuning in today. The most important decision you can make is making Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says that because we are born into sin, there needs to be a blood sacrifice to redeem us from the curse that that sin brought us into when we were all born. God wanted to give you the opportunity to live in eternity with him. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to be that blood sacrifice for you and I. You can choose to make Jesus the Lord of your life and choose heaven, or you can choose to make this sinful world we live in your standard of living and make hell the only option. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, we want to give you that opportunity right now. All you have to do is repeat these words after me. Say this, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I confess my sins and I repent of those sins. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a fully devoted disciple. If you just prayed that prayer, then you are saved. Congratulations on making that life-changing decision. Now is the next step. You need to start reading your Bible and get into a good Bible-believing church. You will find other people who've made the same decision that you just did, and you will help each other grow to become all that God has called you to be. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to know that I am praying for you, that I am for you, but I need to know about it. If you would go to pathwaychurchok.com, that is pathwaychurchok, just the letters O and K.com, send us a message and let us know you prayed that prayer, and we'll send you some free resources to help you start your journey with Christ that you just started today. Thank you again for tuning in. Congratulations once again. We'll see you next time right here.